So we have been in the book of Genesis and we've been talking about Abram. He hasn't become Abraham yet. He's just Abram, father. And uh, we're going to talk today about choices. The choices we make. Now, every one of us in our life, we make choices and you made choices this morning, right? You made a choice to get out of bed. Now, some of you may have, may have made that more willingly than others, but uh, you know, uh, you know, you get out of bed. Some of you feel like a, like the cereal snap, crackle, pop when you get out of bed in the morning. Sometimes it's it's a little bit harder for for some than it is for others. But you made a choice to get out of bed, and then you made a choice on how you were going to worship this morning. You you said, "Am I going to come to first service, second service? Am I going to watch for all of you wonderful people?" that are watching on Facebook, we, we appreciate you watching. You made a choice to walk on fa- watch on Facebook. Some of you over in the Agape room are watching over there, and we appreciate that. You made a choice on how you were going to worship. You could have made a choice not to worship at all. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who made a choice this morning not to worship God. But you, know, you made a choice. And, and actually, when you think about it, those choices are pretty easy. Those choices, especially if you built into your life the habits of making good choices with God, those choices were pretty easy. But not all those choices are, are, are easy choices. You made, you, you made a choice, maybe, on who you were going to marry. I was talking with Fred and Bev this morning. They've been married for 66 years. Now that's a long-lasting choice. And what an example that is. And there's others I see here in this, in this room that, that you may, and maybe you made the choice not to marry. And that can, that can be... Boy, did somebody just get an elbow in the ribs? I don't know. Uh, So you you may have made that choice not to marry, and you're following what God has asked you to do. And that's a hard, hard decision to make. Maybe maybe it's around your employment. You've made a a choice about what you were going to do for work or where you were going to live. We were, we were chatting. I had, a, had the opportunity in college to go to Australia for six weeks and minister in a church there. And when I came back uh, my senior year at Liberty, uh, the pastor that I was with came to America to visit. And he, and he came and he says, I want you to come back and be my youth pastor. Now, my mom and dad weren't awfully excited about the thought of their son going all the way to the other side of the world to be a preacher. And, and it didn't work out. God, God, the church there said, you know, uh, we want to look for somebody that's from, from Australia. And it didn't work out. But, you know, that decision could have been a life-altering decision. You know, can you imagine, oh, I want to go visit the grandkids in Australia. But, you know, 
So those are, are some big, big decisions that we make. And every time we make a decision, we need to make sure that we're not only making a wise decision, but we're making a godly decision. And so this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to look at two men that made a bunch of decisions. And some of those decisions were good, and some of those decisions led to some real issues. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Genesis 13, 1 through 7. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, and he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, and to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while they were dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. They made some choices. The first choice that Abraham made is Abraham chose to return to where he knew God was. Now why is that important? You see, we, a lot of times, we can get so caught up, and especially the longer we live in Christ, we, we get caught up in what's happening right now. And we can get a little bit complacent. See, we go, we go to the same church on, the same, uh, on, on Sunday, and we sit in that same place, in that same pew every Sunday, right? I know I can tell who's here just by looking around because, because I know where you sit. Now, now don't be fooling with me because I, we had a church. We decided one day we were going to mess with the pastor. And, and as everybody was coming in, we said, do not sit where you normally sit. And, and the pastor got up and he went, what are you guys doing? Everybody's in the wrong place. But we can get pretty comfortable with what's going on. And I want you to know that, that Abram went back. Now, he had, he had messed up, hadn't he? He went down to Egypt, and he, and he lied about his wife. And, and even though uh, God blessed him through that, it, it was an issue. It was a problem. And so he said, I need to get back to where God has a place for me. And it was the place where he had formerly built an altar. And if you'll notice that all throughout the Old Testament, every place that the Israelites went, what did they do? They built an altar so that they would remember. Because we forget. We can forget how much God has done for me. Matter of fact, when the Israelites crossed the, the Jordan River on dry ground to go take the promised land, what did they do? They picked up 12 stones and they brought them out and they built an altar 
on the west side of the river. And they also built an altar. They took 12 stones and they stacked them up in the middle of the river so that whether you were crossing the river or whether you were on the other side of the river, you could find these stones and you could say, this is where God brought us into the promised land. And sometimes we forget that. In Revelation to the church of Ephesians, John wrote this. And it's, it's Jesus talking to the church of Ephesus. And he says, I know your deeds and your labor and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil people. And you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test. And they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perse- perseverance and have endured on account of my name and have not become weary. That's a pretty good report, isn't it? Would you like to have that report about your church? Wow, you guys, I know your deeds. You're persevering. You don't tolerate evil. Matter of fact, when people are teaching false doctrine, you call them out. You don't allow false doctrine in your church. That's pretty good stuff. You've endured on account of my name. But, what's the next two verses? But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He's calling the church of Ephesus back to their first love. How how many of you remember the day you got saved? The day that, maybe the day that you got baptized. That was a pretty big day. And we should. Because what happened when you first got saved? Man, you wanted to share with everybody. You know, I've told you guys many times, I got saved 15 years old. I was over here at the West Albany Stadium at a Bill Glass crusade and I got saved And that fall, when I got back to school, I played football and I was part of a thing called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And we had a group of young people that were just on fire. This last week I had the opportunity, I got a friend from high school that lives over in Monmouth and they they make honey. They make their own honey. And I go over every once in a while and, and get honey from them. And she was so excited. She says, you you remember, don't you? She said, I was 16 years old and I had no clue who Jesus was. And you and Keith would come and you would get me and you would drive me to youth group. And I got saved because you guys would not let me sit over here on the sidelines. You guys came and picked me up and you stayed at it and you stayed sharing with me until I came to know Jesus as my Savior. Remembering that first love, folks. We cannot forget where we're, where we're taken from. And you know, I don't have a story of, of you know, being, being in drugs or, or being out on the street or, or all these terrible things, but I can tell you today, I know what God saved me from. 
I can tell you where I know I would have been if God hadn't scooped me up when I was 15 years old and set me on a solid rock. And I need to go back to that place on a regular basis. And you know why? It's because if we don't, we lose our first love. We forget that people are going to hell and dying. And and I can tell you today, we are much closer to the day when Jesus said, the last name is written. And I'm coming. And I'm going to take my church out. Amen? Absolutely. And we need to go back to that first love. Abram went back to the place where he had met with God between Bethel and Ai and he pitched his tent there and he said, God, I'm not leaving until you give me a word. And sometimes we need to do that in our lives. We need to go back to the place. Now I want you to notice secondly in this passage that Abram and Lot chose to stay together and that led to strife. That led to strife between them. Now in, look, at, look at Genesis chapter 12 verse, verse 1 and what does it say? Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now I don't know why Lot got to take along. Because I read that as saying, you need to come alone. But for whatever reason, every time you see Abraham, you see, and Lot came along. He was the tag along. And God blessed him. We find here that there's all of these sheep. All of these animals that they raised together. But it led to a point of conflict. And I think, I don't know whether whether Abram disobeyed God when he brought Lot along, but I do know that it caused strife. And there's going to be strife any time God's people get together. Because I pretty much guarantee you that we could, we, I could throw a comment out here today and we would have about 49 different opinions on it. There's going to be strife. And there was strife between these, these two sets of shepherds. But I want you to notice how they resolved that. Abram was the uncle. Abram had first priority. He could have said, this is the land I'm going to take. But what did he do? What did he say to Lot? You pick what you want. He gave up his rights. You know, there would be a lot less strife in churches today if we could just lay down our rights. And we could say, you know what? We don't need to have strife over this. You tell me where you're going to go, and I'll take the other direction. And that's what Abram did. And, you know, it's not just an, an example here. In the book of Acts, at the first church, they had, a, they had a similar problem. Now at that time, as the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint developed. We got some strife. Uh, on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Wow. That, here's the first, I mean, this is a church that's full of the Holy Spirit. That are, they're, they're preaching and teaching, they're eating together, and here's a group that's being overlooked. 
And what they do? They said, hey, we, we're going to fix this. We're going to appoint seven. We're going to appoint the first deacons. And they're going to go in and they're going to fix this problem. Sometimes we need to be aware of what's going on around us. And just be willing to say, okay, God, what do you have for us? What do you want to do? We need to get rid of our preconceived rights that we have and say, if, you, if, if you'll take care of this, I'll take care of that. Now, I want you to look at the outcome of, uh, of what happened between Lot and Abram. Look at chapter 13 and look at verse 8. And so Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, or we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of Jordan. Now I want you to notice it didn't say, and Lot called on the name of the Lord as to where he should go. Nope. Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zorah. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, and thus they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were ex wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. You ever heard this phrase? Looks can be deceiving. I mean, Lot looked out and you have to, if you saw a map, you would see that Bethel and Ai are up in the hills in the northern part of, uh, of Israel in the Canaan land, before Israel was even there, in the, in the Canaan land, what God had promised. And, and he could stand up there on the hill and he could look down and in this beautiful Jordan Valley. How many have been to Israel? Any of you been to Israel? Did you see the Jordan Valley? And is it green and it's got all this growing stuff around it? It's beautiful. And he, he was thinking, oh man, my camels and my donkeys and my and my sheep can all graze all through the Jordan Valley. But you know where, it, where he ended up? In Sodom. Sodom is all the way at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Isn't that kind of amazing? That, that he wanders all the way down to the Dead Sea. And he finds Sodom. You see, looks can be deceiving. And, and Proverbs 4 25 to 27 says, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and in all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Man, 
Don't get caught up. Is what this is saying. Fixing your eyes on the author and the finisher of your faith. You see, Lot should have been saying, okay, God, the God of Abram, God, the creator, where do you want me to go? Instead, he looked and he saw. And, and he knew. What did, what, is the, what did that last verse say? The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. And yet, where did he put his tents? He goes all the way down just outside of Sodom. And it says he, he put his tents outside of Sodom. He wasn't looking at what God wanted him to do. He made a choice based on what looked good. Do we do that? Oh, absolutely, we do it all the time. We look at somebody, oh, man, does that, man, that person, they're, they're, they're successful, and they're good looking, and they have a good job, and they have a good reputation. I want to go hang out with them. But we don't look behind and see what's behind all of that and we may look at somebody else and say, man, they've made, they made some terrible decisions in life. You know, and, and they're, you know, they don't have much. And, and, and yet those are the ones we say, well, maybe, I don't know that I want to hang out with them. But God says, look on the heart. Look what, he, look what Proverbs 16, 25 says. There is a way that seems right to a person, but the end of the way is death. You see, we can look for those good, oh, that looks good. And we can follow it, and if we do, we're walking right into the trap that Lot walked into. He, t- he pitched his tents right outside, and I want you to notice something. I want you to look at verse 4. We're going to skip ahead just a little bit. Look at verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. And, and we'll get to this in just a minute, but I want you to see where Lot ends up. And they also took Lot... Abram's nephew and his possessions and departed for he was living in Sodom. It wasn't good enough that he would pitch his tents outside of Sodom. He ends up in Sodom. Beware of spiritual brinkmanship. What is spiritual brinkmanship? Well, it's that fine line that sometimes we as Christians decide, I want to see how close I can get to sin without falling off the cliff. Right? We know where the cliff edge is. We know where sin is. We, we know what sin looks like. And yet we, we mosey right on up and we say, okay, I'm just going to look over the edge of sin. Lot said, I'm just going to camp outside. And you say, well, that's, you know, that's Lot. That would never happen to me. I want you to think about something. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. A lot of us probably have heard this before. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How many of us really practice this? I want you to just think for just a minute. Today, and maybe, maybe today is the day of rest where you say, I don't turn on the television, I don't do anything, this is my day of rest. But sometime in this next week, you're going to do one of three things. You're going to turn on your television, you're going to go on the internet, or you're going to pick up a book or a magazine. Okay? You're going to do one of those three things. I pretty much guarantee you everyone sitting in this room is going to do that. And when that happens, is this going to be your filter? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And what does it end with? And the God of peace will be with you. You see, we choose what we fill our mind with. I think most of you have heard me say, I... I, turn the news on to get the weather and to make sure that uh, I didn't miss the rapture. No. (laughs) To make sure the world's still standing outside my door. Outside of those two things, I shut it off. Because I, I, I can't dwell on everything that is out there that the world has decided is good is evil and evil is good. we have, to, we have to begin to filter our lives through the word of God and through those things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. And, and, and folks, we can get caught in the trap. It's so easy to, to you, you, you Google something in on, on the internet and all of a sudden pops up. Escape, escape, get me out of here, turn around and run, delete. Absolutely, where's where we need to be because we can make decisions based on that, and we get that, we get to the point where on that, where that uh, spiritual brinkmanship, where we want to look over the edge, and all of a sudden we're falling into the pit. We're falling over the edge. And what can we do? We can go get to our knees and we can repent and we can say, God, lift me up. Get me out of here. I need to run. I need to come back to you. Well, there's, uh, we're going to look at one more decision. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 14. Now, we're going to I'm just going to tell you the story of the beginning of 14. Uh, Abram, Abram, he stays, right, in, in Canaan, and God blesses him, and, and, he, and God says, wherever you go, I'm going to give you, wherever your footprint lands, I'm going to give you the land. And it's going to go to your descendants. And God blesses him because of the choice he made. The choice he made to, to say, I, I don't want strife. I want to have God have control. And then there's a war that takes place. And it talks about there's these five kings and they get together and, and they decide uh, they're going to take out the rest of these folks that, 
that uh, they have conquered previously and they revolt. And so there's five kings against four. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah are on the losing side. Now where did Lot end up? Lot ended up in Sodom. And then we come to chapter 14, verse 16. And what has happened is Abram has gotten his, his guys together. He's got, I think it says 318 of his guys get together and they go because Lot has been kidnapped by these guys. They go and they defeat all of these and they're coming back. They've, they've defeated the kings. They're bringing back Lot and all the people from Sodom and everything these kings have taken. And we get to verse 16. He, this is Abram, brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. And we're going to meet a couple kings here. And, and I want you to look at the two different kinds of kings we have. And then after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, the kings who were with him and the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sabbath, that is the king's valley. That's king number one, the king of Sodom. So hold on to that king. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be the God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him a tenth of all. And the king of Sodom says to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord, the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours. For fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their share. Two kings, the king of Sodom. Remember what we read back in chapter 13? What were they like? They were exceedingly wicked. Do you think their king was, was a nice guy? He was exceedingly wicked. That's the way their king was. And not only that, I want you to look at verse 10. Chapter 14, verse 10. Now the valley of, of Siddim was full of tar pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But those who survived fled to the hill country. Not only was the king of Sodom exceedingly wicked, he was a coward. In the face of battle, he turned and ran. And he ran away and he, and, and he, he says that he went up 
into the hill country to hide. Abram goes and he fights the battle. He, he, he kills the king and he gets all of the people of Sodom back and they're on their way back. Now, Abram has a choice. He's got king of Sodom on one side saying, take all this, you, you can have all the animals, you can have all the gold, you can have all the wonderful things of the world. Just give me my people back. And what kind of people were they? They were exceedingly wicked. I want my people back. I want, my, I want all these exceedingly wicked people back. Wow. I'll give you all of this stuff. Isn't that like the world? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That's what Abraham said. He said there was another man, there was another king by the name of Melchizedek. And I want you to notice that that king was not only a king, but he was what? He was a priest of the Lord Most High. That word there is El Elohim. That word means the creator. Abram says, I recognize the priest of the Lord Most High. I recognize the priest of the Creator. Who was this man named Melchizedek that even Abraham, Abram, when he came to him, he said, I want to give you a tenth. I want to give you the tithe of all of this that, that you've given me. Because what did Melchizedek say? Blessed is the God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You see, Abraham didn't have enough men. He didn't have enough power. He didn't have enough armies to defeat all of these other kings. But who did he have? He had the Lord Most High. And he defeated them because he had the Lord Most High. And he chose wisely. Because what did he say? He says, I don't want anybody to say that you made me rich. He knew the motive of the king of Sodom. But he went to the king of Salem. He, he said, Melchizedek, I'm going to follow you. Now who is this Melchizedek? We're going to look very quickly and see who Melchizedek was. Psalms, uh, let me go back one. Psalms 1.1, 1, 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the what? Wicked nor stand in the paths of sinner, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And in Psalms chapter 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All of his thoughts are, there is no God. That sound like the king of Sodom? But here's the king of Salem. 
Melchizedek. Who is he? Psalms 110.4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now there is going to come an order of priests by the line of Aaron. And that's going to be the priesthood of Israel. But what does this say? Uh, and those priests, what? When they die, they're done. But this priest, this Melchizedek, is a priest forever. A priest forever? What in the world are we talking about here? A priest forever? Well, I want you to, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 5. And this is that talks about this Melchizedek. Hebrews 5 5 says, Also, also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Just as he says in another passage, Oh, we just read this. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And in the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all of those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to to the order of Melchizedek. Who is this Melchizedek? It's none other than Jesus Christ. The one who would become the, our salvation, the one that would become the, the only one who could offer the eternal sacrifice for sin. It was Mel, Melchizedek. And then look over in chapter 7. For Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abram apportioned a tenth part of his spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is the king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God who remains a priest perpetually. Jesus Christ is none other than Melchizedek, the priest, the king, and the priest. Now, we're going to run back to, to Genesis chapter 14 for just a minute. Because this priest is the same Jesus who at the Last Supper brought the bread and the wine. I want you to look back at 14 and verse 18. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was the priest of the God Most High. Abram chose Jesus. He chose the king priest, we have that opportunity to choose that same king priest. We can make a choice. 
You see, remember all the way at the beginning of the sermon when I talked about all the choices that you could make in life? What is the most important choice you can make? You may say, well, well, who I marry? Now, that's a pretty important choice. Where I live, that's a pretty important choice. What I do for a living, that's a pretty important choice. But I can tell you there's one choice. There's one choice that is above every other choice and that you can choose Jesus. That's what, that's what Abram did. He chose Jesus Christ. And we have that opportunity to choose Jesus. And, and I hope each and every one of you has taken the time to choose Jesus as your Savior. 